Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Ray Lowe, SVP and CIO at AltaMed Health Services. In this segment, Lowe talks about how the organization was able to turn on a dime when COVID hit to provide continued support for patients and providers, the added challenges that come with deploying telehealth to multilingual and low-income patients, and his thoughts on how the pandemic has helped build better relationships with vendors. Good morning. I'm Ray Lowe. I'm a Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Ultimate Health Services in Los Angeles, California. Ultimate Health Services is the largest FQHC, federally qualified healthcare center in the country. We primarily serve multi-ethnic, Latino, underserved, and low-income patients. We serve over 300,000 patients in our community, primarily in East Los Angeles and in Orange County. And our patients are many of the essential workers that are being affected so critically during this COVID and pandemic crisis uh, at this time period. We provide primary care services, we provide pediatric services, women health, HIV AIDS services, and we also have elder care programs. Ultimate started in 1969 as the free East LA Barrio Clinic where there was no healthcare in the East Los Angeles area. And we have grown to have over 50 sites, uh, again, serving over 300,000 patients, a million visits a year. Okay. Every organization was hit a different way or impacted in different ways by COVID. Being an organization where there are so many different care sites and there's a great deal of ambulatory care, just wanted to get your reaction about how things were affected and, and how it changed your strategy. Yeah, so with the pandemic in March, I mean, it was a significant shift to Ultimate. As many other healthcare systems, we had um, people stop showing up at our clinics. I mean, when you're providing primary care services and you go Mm -hmm. from having over 3,000 visits a day being handled to almost zero, the company has to turn on a dime in order to support not only our patients, our providers, as well as our corporate functions. So through the COVID-19 crisis in the March time period, we actually pushed 1,000 people to be remote. Prior to that time period, working remotely was more of a convenience, so maybe 100 people worked remotely. But we pushed many departments, corporate functions to be remote. We went heavily onto our Cisco WebEx platforms and enabling distance meetings and that collaboration, whereas before we were much more of an in-person type of a meeting organization. And then for our patients, right, we had to shift to telephonic. In April, we shifted to televideo visits so that we could provide the care for them. The additional challenge for Ultimed is because we served uh, a multilingual and a low-income population is now we introduce new technologies to them Mm -hmm. that had not been realized. We are an epic shop, and we like to have our care go through the MyChart or the MyUltimed portal. Around there. This is a real change moment when you really think again about the patient population we have, where they can actually now start receiving their care on their mobile device. Right. So a lot to unpack there because there was so much that needed to be done. And would you say that really for the first few weeks, first month or so, was that when, um, from an IT perspective, really just had to just act so quickly? And can you just talk about what, what was required from that standpoint? Yeah, so the landscape was actually very dynamic uh, as we're talking in March. The federal government mm. was really looking more about large hospital systems 
been out off the payers and community health centers were late in the story in terms of how mm -hmm. funding would be happening or how care should be provided. So Ultimate, we had to prepare in order to provide that care. So my team, we actually met daily for like two or three weeks. I'm part of the executive team at Ultimate, and we actually rallied around our medical director of infection control. So we knew how to react to the virus, what was required in there. We pushed a hundred folks from our patient contact center, our nurse center to work remotely. We actually set up over 11 COVID-19 drive-through clinic sites and parking mm -hmm. lots adjacent to the facilities, and even one in an empty lot uh, provided to us by the city of Los Angeles, where we provided over 250 COVID testing drive-through patients a day. And at one point in the uh, April time period, we actually provided over 11% of all testing in the Los Angeles County area. So the team met daily. This is an infrastructure, EPIC team for modification of the EMR. This is incorporating new technology. So on the video visits, how are we going to be doing this? It's just kind of a sweeping uplift across the organization. And again, wrapping all that within the proper security framework to making sure that yeah. uh, no HIPAA, no breaches would happen as well. Right. In terms of what you had alluded to before with challenges with care access and um, you know, being able to log into the portal, how was uh, the organization able to address that? Yeah, so it's interesting. So we actually went live with Epic on August of 2019. So we were pretty early. We were on the new foundation build, and we actually implemented Epic in 10 months. So, uh, you know, the first year of implementing a new EMR is where you're really learning and stabilizing in terms of what you're doing here. Right. You fast forward five months in terms of moving the pandemic and, and the uh, way that the Epic team had to respond the way that we had to build fast, have fast tracks for our providers who provide care, uh, moving onto tablets so that we um, actually had four stops in our COVID clinics. One, you know, to verify the patient, another one to take some vitals around them, uh, another one in order to do the, the testing and exit, making sure that they were well. And none of this planning actually had been had been thought about, right? So the, the uh, right. leadership in Ultimate, as well as IT, is we're opening here, we're opening here, we're opening here, right? But how do we make this work seamlessly? So now you're talking about, you know, care on wows are usually inside of a hospital. You know, and mm -hmm. here we're having wows out in a parking lot and there's no power. You're now printing out there again. There's, there's no, no power out there as well. Uh, we're doing things on iPads at the same time period. So the technology thinking of how do you, you do it, there was not really an option to say we couldn't do it. We had to figure it out. Yeah. So simple things like from a network perspective is we had to put an access point next to the glass of the window so it covered the parking lot so that it would have the yeah. coverage you know, in, in that with our corporate wireless. The interesting case is where we actually opened the, the clinic in East Los Angeles and through a partnership with AT&T, we were actually able to um, have them donate to us one of their mobile retail stores. And it provided the, the connectivity and power onto this large city lot where there were no services at all available, right? And uh, without kind of thinking innovatively, how can you do these things? How can you segment it? Working with my leadership team and our partners, we were able to come up with some very innovative and key solutions. Right. That's usually a, a pretty good starting point, but when you move yeah. forward through the whole COVID era, 
to where we are today, offering the telephonic as well as the televideo visits to our patients. We've incorporated language mm -hmm. services so that if English is not your primary language and you're actually able to bring in a translator for the patient being, being sensitive to that. We've also launched remote patient monitoring care for congestive heart failure so that we can, again, keep our patients healthier at home. We strongly embrace this mobile-first strategy. From patient engagement as well, we are allowing folks to actually register for MyUltimate by pushing out a link to them, looking and doing the real-time scheduling as well. So we're, uh, we're really moving very quickly onto the digital edge in terms of what patient consumerism is requiring. And again, all this has happened really like in the last year. Yeah. So I'm sure that there were a lot of adjustments that had to be made. That first year really is, is a lot of learning and stabilizing, but I'm sure that you also were very glad that it was in place because I can imagine the challenges you'd be facing if it were not. Absolutely. In healthcare, there's a lot of organizations that have technical debt in them. And uh, sometimes IT is treated as a cost center and uh, the proper funding may or may not be there. There's going to be technical debt in any type of corporation you go into. I've been at Ultimate right. for three years. And so in the time period, that'd be part of year two, I've been leading a modernization from a technology perspective, kind of a snapshot mm -hmm. reference of the services we're providing that I just spoke about is when I arrived here yeah. in January of 2018, it really wasn't even wireless in our, any of our clinics, you know, and you take oh, wow. that, fast forward to what we're delivering, not only for our, our patients, but also for our providers and that delivery of care, it's been a really wholesale transformation. I got a little bit lucky that we are pretty good along our, our modernization path around there and having really good again, partner relationships, Cisco, AT&T, Presidio, Epic, other folks out there. The interesting part is how do you introduce, you know, your video technologies in there? And that's where, you know, being on Epic and really seeing what they have in their app orchard as you're doing your product selection mm -hmm. makes it easier because, you know, it's, it's going to fit versus trying to do custom API development. And you mentioned the, the partners that you work with. One of the things that we've heard from a few CIOs is that the conversations with vendors really have had to change in some cases or maybe just evolved during the pandemic. And what has your experience been like? You know, on the partner side, right, and vendors, I think you have to have them. I think you need to treat them as partners, not as vendors. I had some very strong asks of them. So, for instance, mm -hmm. with AT&T, I, I needed to have a 10-gig circuit put up, and the normal AT&T timeline would have been, um, you know, potentially, you know, 90 days to six months for you to have the services. But they were able right. to actually just put it up in two weeks for us because healthcare had oh, and yeah. another area is with some of our, our hardware vendors, right, is really establishing that priority. And, and they jumped us in the queue, again, because we were health services. But there's always forward mm -hmm. thinking that you have to have. Uh, we actually had to procure 700 laptops in a one-month mm -hmm. time period and, and, and put them out and creating a genius bar and bringing in medical management and bringing in the contact center and bringing in providers, right, and educating them on that. But the other side of it is how you manage your VPN access. Uh, we use Duo. And so that, that elasticity in those type of agreements so that they're actually able to give us an accommodation was very helpful. Nothing's free. Right. Nothing is free, right? <laughs> yeah, and there's a true right. that came up in July or August time period, which we were aware of. But I think without the partner support in that time period, it would have been very hard, very, very hard to, to move through this. Yeah. 
And it seems like a lot of the vendors had to switch from maybe getting out of selling mode and more into uh, trying to make the adjustments or just kind of had to change their strategy, it seems like. Yeah, they had to move from pure selling. Mm -hmm. To me, really, it's understanding the business relationship. And what was the outcome? So there were there was a leap of faith for many of them. You know, I had some very strong asks of them to do things, but when they understand why we're doing it and where we're going, they were actually very happy to help, you know, help us get over the hump mm-hmm. again. We were in a global pandemic. Nobody knew what was going on. You know, March, April, everybody stayed home and everything was working remotely. And many companies were not ready to work remotely and they struggled through it around there. But again, you know, on the healthcare side is everything needs to stay HIPAA compliant, not exposing PHI, not only do we look at how do we provide patient-centric care where they want and how they want it, but also we're looking at how do we allow our providers to work from anywhere? You know, how are we able mm-hmm. to convert a traditional exam room into a video conference, uh, video, video capabilities? And so the provider day is, isn't interruptive of making them change rooms or spaces to work things. They can kind of continue their, their care and their care plan. Our providers see about 20 to 22 patients a day. So it's a pretty high volume right, that we're seeing here. And you know, how do we have our providers enjoy a practice and, and work-life balance here during a pandemic? Yeah. So what we saw is you know, the first couple of months, people were not coming to our clinics just like they weren't coming to hospitals around yeah. there. In the summertime period, we started seeing our, our, our visits picking up. But again, there's a lot of movement to the telespace both of the telephonic visit, the nurse visits, the hypertension type visits, you know, as well as having the provider, you know, providing the direct visit of the patient. And it, it's being well adopted, again, by, by our patient population. But I will say that there is one area that still needs to be addressed is that there is a real digital divide out there mm-hmm. uh, on the underserved and the low income areas where uh, broadband is not as ubiquitous or as available, or when you're dealing with essential workers that make their decision, are they going to pay their broadband bill or are they going to put food on their table? You know, and also all the SDOH aspects of how are you dealing with the social determinants of health in the inner city of Los Mm -hmm. Angeles so that people can provide, get provided proper health care. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.